Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you spend any time with colleagues on Zoom or other video platforms, you know there is one main goal all these products are trying to achieve, and that is real-time collaboration. You're sitting at your desk, your kitchen table, and your colleagues are scattered all around the country or the world, but the conversation, the screen, and the whiteboard you're sharing is meant to create the sense that you're all in the same room. When you actually are in the same room as another person, unless that person is a ventriloquist, when lips move, words come out of their mouth at the same exact moment. When you're on a video call, the sound of someone's voice frequently reaches you either before or after you see their lips moving. We generally call this out of sync. The technical term for it is uh, latency. Latency can be aggravating, but you put up with it because it's a conversation and it's not that big a deal. But imagine instead of talking to other people, you're playing music with them. You're in your home studio playing a keyboard part and another person is in their home studio playing a drum part. A third person is somewhere else playing a guitar part and a fourth person is in a fourth location and has a vocal track. In this case, latency is not merely an aggravation, it's a monumental issue. Everybody being out of sync with each other makes it impossible to create music together. That's why musicians never collaborate online real-time. The best they can do is record their individual tracks and send them back and forward to each other, each person contributing their part one part at a time. It takes days or weeks to complete a single song. If there was a way for musicians to meet online and play together, whoever invented the software that could make that happen would be a superstar in the world of music creation. Well, today, that software has a name. It's called Don Audio, and the four superstars who created it are right here in New Orleans, including co-founder and CEO of Don Audio, Diego Pinzon. Diego, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Most of us in New Orleans uh, enjoy live music collaboration, but as consumers rather than creators. At live music events, there's a very obvious dividing line between creators and consumers, more typically known as the band and the audience. The band is on stage, the audience is on the floor facing them. Other than yelling, who let the dogs out at a Saints game or singing carols in Jackson Square, it's hard to think of any place in New Orleans where the dividing line between music creation and music consumption is blurred. Have you been to the Music Box Village? It's in the Bywater. It's a collection of rustic looking buildings described as musical architecture. When you interact with the buildings, either by walking through them, pulling levers, or, or taking some other action, the buildings make musical sounds. So a bunch of people strolling through the village create music. Music Box Village is also a music venue where artists perform. Many of them incorporate the music buildings into their own live performances, reinventing songs in ways that are unique and can be magical and transporting. Music Box Village 
is the creation of an organization called New Orleans Airlift, whose wider mission is to promote music collaboration between local New Orleans artists and other artists worldwide. The co-founder and creative director of New Orleans Airlift and Music Box Village is Delaney Martin. Delaney, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Diego, musicians everywhere have been desperate for collaboration software for years. Most musicians who have home studios, which is practically everybody these days, record on digital software like Pro Tools, Logic, uh, Ableton, or even GarageBand, which comes loaded on, on most Apple computers. All of these major software and hardware companies are well aware of the needs of musicians. So you have to wonder why one of them hasn't built collaboration software already. I can only assume it's because they're in competition with each other and none of them want to invest in a product that makes them compatible with their rivals. Which is exactly what your product, Dawn Audio, does. So what do these major companies think of Dawn Audio? Are they happy you've come along or do they want to crush you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think a lot of that is uh, still to be determined. I think that's a huge, huge, huge question we get often, um, right, is, well, what happens if Pro Tools or... Apple that owns Logic and GarageBand suddenly says, you know what, we don't want to be compatible with Dawn Audio. Um, I think a lot of it is, to your point, their original market share, they don't want to share that. So they, you know, it's, it'd be similar to the whole argument right now as for iPhone enabling the blue text bubble with, uh, with right, Samsung and, and Android phones. Um, there's that exclusivity feature of having your own DAW or digital audio workstation. Um, our approach bypasses a lot of that and so the way that we're communicating with these applications allows us to do it with or without their approval to a degree and through a means um, via using this kind of universal language that's been established in the industry meaning that if they wanted to cut ties with us and not be compatible with us they'd have to cut ties with the industry so any of these software would actually have to cut ties with Yamaha, Fender and all these multi-billion dollar companies that guarantees us the compatibility with them because of our approach. Now, Delaney, the common element between your two ventures, New Orleans Airlift and Music Box Village, is collaboration. Music Box Village encourages people to interact with buildings to create musical sounds, and New Orleans Airlift encourages collaboration between New Orleans artists and artists around the world. On the face of it, these seem like two very different businesses. One is an art installation, the other is an international arts organization. Are there, in fact, two distinct businesses? or is there a connection between them? Oh, Peter, you've asked the magic question that has confused people for years now. So it is one business. It is actually a nonprofit organization called New Orleans Airlift, and Music Box is in fact just our flagship project. So it's not its own business. However, it is much more popular and well-known than New Orleans Airlift, creating mass confusion for many years now. But the simplest way to say it is New Orleans Airlift is an artist-driven organization. We make all sorts of projects out in the streets, multidisciplinary, but Music Box Village is our calling card. It's the project that's been popular for years, and now it has a permanent home in the Bywater. And it's uh, not a company, it's a... It's a project. It doesn't, it doesn't even have its own entity. It's just a project of New Orleans Airlift. But it's also tax deductible for donations, right? Yeah, you just write it to Airlift, not Music Box, and you See? got it. Now, Diego, you very openly talk about how you didn't have a business background, and what really helped you out was a kind of two organizations. It was Idea Village and Tulane. What did they do for you? Yeah, um, so yeah, for context, I come from an engineering background, not audio engineering, um, 
computer engineering programming uh, as well as then producing and audio engineering and that's what got um, got me to live this problem and ultimately realize the necessity for it we started off as entirely a class project so just building an entirely technical solution um, and really it wasn't until feedback and, and support from mentors from advisors from professors primarily through Tulane initially that we started to really spin our gears and, and turn this into a business and started to you know, as four engineers, learn how to build financial models and learn how to do all these things. Um, I, th I think that the, the biggest help for us as first-time founders, as young entrepreneurs, has been the capacity to speak with other people who have the experience. And Tulane and Idea Village are two very strong beacons for entrepreneurship in the city of New Orleans. So connecting us with advisors who ultimately don't necessarily give us the answers, but ask us the right questions that lead us down the path to get the answers that we need. And so speaking with uh, business professors, speaking with um, different advisors, as well as then financially resources through uh, inst or institutions like the LePage Center at, at Tulane that was an enormous help to us early on. The Novel Tech Challenge at Tulane, which gave us early funding to, to get some initial prototyping. Um, so both the financial resources and advisorship and mentorship has been great. Delaney, I actually have been to, I guess it was a long time ago, but you had a, uh, at Music Box Village, you have it over in uh, Gentilly once, and um, the band members from Wilco were out there. Yeah, that, that was, was that was actually City Park. Oh, City Park, that yeah. That was City Park, yeah. So that was 2015. We had had our original installation in my co-founder's yard on Piety Street. Um, <laughs> it was made from the remnants of his falling down Creole cottage. Um, and then, you know, weirdly enough, we got invited frankly, around the world. Our first outpost was in Kiev, Ukraine, which is, you wow. know, yeah, we've been reaching out okay, to friends over there. there this no, year, we will not. Um, but at any rate, we did, you know, kind of installations around the world in the country and then came back in 2015 to City Park. And that was sort of our return. And yes, had many coups, like having Wilco leave from the stage at Jazz Fest, where they actually had to leave early because of lightning strikes, and come. And I pulled up just as they pulled up, and the rain magically went away. Oh, and all these that. people from Jazz Fest were making their way through City Park <laughs> going, where are we? Only to, yeah, see Wilco perform a bunch of musical houses. But, you know, your locations and your themes are, uh, a lot of times, they're, they're very... They're tied to current events. For instance, the George Floyd murder, you you did something for that, I guess, in terms of, was it racial healing and awareness? Right, right, yeah. So we are forever making new musical houses, and they are inspired by narratives and stories in other cities we've visited. We sometimes, you know, might bring a musical house back from Tampa, for example, that feels like it's from Florida. But, you know, after George Floyd, we were working with some partners at the Amistad Research Center and um, a woman named Monique Moss, who's from Third Eye Interdisciplinary Theater, and we had started on a kind of racial reconciliation project. And, you know, we're making a musical house that is very much tied to the history of our lands. Um, through the course of this project, we uncovered not a discovery, but a revelation that the enslaver Manuel Andre actually moved to our land after he quelled the 1811 slave revolt that started on his German coast. Wow. plantation so this was what did a, you do then well we sort of sat with that and grappled with that information that you know in a racial reconciliation project we'd found that our land ancestry in other words is tied to this very prominent figure and 
as a white transplant organization working with black native New Orleanian women, we have made a beautiful project out of it and uh, it is called the Spirit House and it channels a lot of a lot of indigenous and African histories through it. So each musical house comes with a story. Some are quite simple, like look, jump up and down and play these musical floors and some take on, you know, spiritual historical narratives that are part of shaping our city. Diego, I, um, I know you, I talk to your neighbors and I know you play the drums. And, uh, <laughs> but you are, uh, the way I see it, and I'm not very good at all this stuff, seems like you're a middleman in this, so that the technology is, is kind of in the middle. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of how we pitch the approach is we're middleware for music collaboration or co-creation. Um, so that's been a lot of the novelty and why, like we get the top question we always get is, well, why has no one else done this, right? And we've, we're not claiming to be the first to address the issue of collaboration. Um, what's novel about our solution is that we are the middleman. So we see uh, other solutions focus entirely on basically having one project and everyone's editing that, whereas we just sit in the middle, we allow every, everyone's individual software to run, and we just kind of help communication between them, help the audio streaming between them and enable that to a degree. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Diego Pinzon, co-founder and CEO of online music collaboration software, Don Audio, and Delaney Martin, co-founder and creative director at the musical art installation Music Box Village and New Orleans Airlift, which promotes collaboration between New Orleans musicians and musicians around the world. And Delaney, there's more than one installation, right, in terms of Music Box Village? Well, sure. Music Box Village is comprised of, you know, um, over a dozen of these musical houses built by various artists, both from here and abroad. People like Daryl Montana, our big chief of the Yellow Pocahontas, an artist from Berlin, you know, world famous artists, people who are car mechanics or carpenters. It's really a, a wide gamut of who builds our musical houses. Uh, but there are a couple outposts, like up at Mass Mocha in Massachusetts, oh, um, a couple other things that are freestanding um, and longstanding other locations. But, you know, our one down here is our, our home. Yeah. And who do you get to build these things? I don't. Are you a builder? I am a builder. Oh, wow. I have built several of these musical houses, but you know, I kind of consider myself more like the mayor of the village. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we. And speaking of collaboration, you know, this is a musical village, right? It wants to be built by many hands, but it also wants to be built in harmony. And so compromise and collaboration is a big part of that. You know, you can't block the sight line of the musical house behind you because the composer or the conductor might need to see that musician. And so, you know, we've really instilled in our collaborators a sense of working towards a greater good. This is not a this is not a group show where everyone's vying for their spot. This is actually like a collaboration, a harmonious village that has, you know, spatial sonic aspects, but also a metaphor for, you know, our contemporary world and what could happen in a, a more harmonious mm. and village. If I'm not mistaken, y'all collaborated with Tulane, with like Rick Snow there, Dr. Snow. We have, yeah, yeah. So our collaborators are, yes, Dr. Snow um, up at Tulane uh, is one of our great collaborators. He worked on a beautiful project with this woman, Christine Sun Kim, who's kind of one of the biggest international art stars at the moment. And she is a deaf artist. And you would wonder what a deaf artist yeah. might be doing in a musical village. But she's doing amazing things with how deaf and hearing communities can experience sound. And so she built an elevator with us. And Dr. Snow helped amplify what is basically, in the deaf community, a space of play, right? We all get into elevators, the hearing community, and we're like, oh, God, let's not talk. So uncomfortable. Can't wait for my floor. 
young deaf people at college, like herself, would go into elevators and shout and scream and feel the vibrations and have a ball with their friends. And so Dr. Rick Snow, and this is you know where collaboration comes into it, she brought this idea to us, and we said, oh, we know the person who can actually amplify this, because Dr. Snow has been working with transducers and sheets of metal, which she to like tunes for their frequency, and the sheets of metal become the speakers. And so you go into this elevator, you press a button, and the walls of it literally shake, amplifying the deaf experience. Um, and we also, you can play the voices of deaf members of the Louisiana community's voice. They all shouted for us in very intimate recordings. And then I think the most beautiful part of that project is over the course of recording these deaf voices and meeting these deaf individuals, one of them came to Music Box with his young family, his young daughter and his wife, and all of a sudden got on one of our kind of drum-based instruments and started playing an amazing drum line. And I had to admit my ignorance. I was like, how are you profoundly deaf from birth and able to do this? And well, he feels the vibrations and he was part of his you know, drum major. And so we ended up doing a performance of deaf and hearing musicians performing together, cued by our curator of performance, Leah Hennessy, uh, visually, but it came together beautifully and there was not a dry eye in the house. I can imagine there's a... D Diego, I've been thinking about um, your, your software and such. There seems to be a lot of different ways you could have people pay for it. And um, what if, are you doing some sort of combination or is one working better? Are you kind of still feeling your way through? Yeah, so we're leaning towards a subscription model. Um, we found that artists are accustomed to paying monthly and annual subscriptions. We pay for things like sample libraries and access to different uh, effects and plugins and things that layer on on top of the core software that we use to make that music. And that's really what Dawn is. It's, it's an, an additional layer on top of your core software. Um, so that's really the route we're going with. That said, we're keeping it very, very affordable. Again, I come from a, yes, I'm a drummer, ask my neighbors, but I, I also got into music production about four years ago, but I've always loved making music purely as a passion and as a hobby. So I've never sought to have that be my financial career. And so I've always been financially limited in terms of what I can contribute towards my music making. So I understand um, right, the financial limitations of uh, an aspiring professional or right, the whole starving musician um, persona. And so we're, we're keeping it at, um, at a very low price um, through that and also exploring possibly doing things like consumption-based models where right, we also can consider Dawn to be a digital music studio. You don't buy a subscription to a music studio, you rent it for an hour, two hours, whatever it is. Um, the reason why we're leaning towards that subscription is we found that when artists are on the clock in a studio, creativity doesn't really flourish as it should, right? Because you're worried, oh, I have an hour left, I have two hours left, and then I have to pay more. Whereas if you're just paying a, a base rate monthly subscription, then you can really log on, use this software whenever you want. I, are you one of the people, and there's lots of them, that have actually uh, been able to create something good out of COVID? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and for more reasons than one, you know, I think that the whole collaborative experience uh, and COVID is exasperating that, you know, I was wanting to work on music with my friends in New Jersey, where I was uh, living at the time, or here in New Orleans, where I was going to school at the time, and COVID exasperated that. But also more literally, um, I had an internship lined up as part of my engineering degree, and that got canceled because of COVID. Um, and I needed to fulfill an, an internship requirement. And uh, so again, back to the whole Tulane and Idea Village portion, um, Tulane and, and our, our capstone professor there was uh, willing to let me kind of partake in the Idea Institute, Idea Village's 
uh, incubator program and count that as my internship. So I was able to continue exploring kind of the early, super early stages of Dawn and count that towards my degree. So it, it allowed, that was, if it hadn't been for COVID canceling my internship and it hadn't been for Tulane and Idea Village in that sense, I would have never even began kind of, again, exploring this idea. And that was before we had a team, before we had a single line of code written. So, so yeah, for more reasons than one, this was a, a product of COVID <laughs> for sure. How long have you been online with this? Yeah, so we made the team two years ago uh, in August of my senior year, so 2020. Um, so literally right out of COVID. Um, and the first year, like I said, was purely a class project. Um, working with, the reason why I asked about the, the Dr. Snow connection was uh, I was also minoring in music tech and so had that background of understanding how these software work. So that first year was purely just building the application and we thought, you know, come May, we're gonna graduate and cool, cool project, let's move on. Um, and then really a lot of mentors, advisors, professors started encouraging us to really keep exploring this. Um, so that following year was really spent cementing the business side of, of our company, of our own personal understanding, um, right, preparing for talking to investors, raising funds, as well as continuing that app development. Um, and, and since we've been able to kind of roll out to, to a handful of early, te early testers, early artists, uh, and growing our, our base from there, so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you, you haven't gone like mass level on No, not, no definitely not quite <laughs> yet. Um, yeah, at, at, the, at the current moment, um, still kind of in that early testing phase. So but, exciting, um, yeah, really yeah. exciting. Yeah. Delaney, if I were to be involved in your international uh, work, would I see a music Fox Village kind of setup? Sure, you could. Airlift does more projects than Music Box. As I said, Music right. Box is our sort of flagship. But yeah, certainly we've gone places around the world and done this project. Um, but there can be also many other things. The, the main tenants we have are collaboration, not only between artists, but between communities. You know, so we did a project. Our last big international project was in 2019 in the United Arab Emirates, actually, for the Sharjah Biennial, where we worked with um, a rapper from Somalia a composer from the Philippines, um, dozens of mostly Indian and Bangladeshi families, and we all worked together to create a big multidisciplinary performance underneath a giant plane in the middle of the desert. So really, no, Peter. It could look like many, many different things. You know, we, we did a project here locally. That's one of my favorites. Speaks to the idea of collaboration um, called New Water Music, and it was with the Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra. So we had music, but we also had them out on shrimp boats. And the shrimp boats were doing a shrimp boat ballet. And why do we have them on shrimp boats? Because this project was about the coastal crisis. And so we were highlighting people involved in that. So as everybody, we had speakers from the indigenous community, we had fishermen, we had shrimp boats, we had a giant barge. And you know, at the end of the day, this one person came up to me. I was a crazy person. I was on microphones and marine walkies, like directing the shrimp boat ballet. It was insane. We had one day morning to rehearse it, and we were doing it in the <laughs> evening for 4,000 people. But uh, this one, this one audience member came up to me at the end of the day and said, "You know, that shrimp boat ballet made me cry. But really, I cannot believe you have all these people here who normally cannot stand each other and cannot agree. And the fact that you have them all here working together is what gives me hope for the coast." And that kind of, that was like a compliment that speaks to a great deal of our work and what we're trying to do with collaboration is not just make amazing, cool, fun, interactive art, but to speak to the possibilities that can come from collaboration when diverse people get involved in working towards a, a greater goal. Yeah, where do the connections come from when you go abroad? Is it something... Uh, place you've always wanted to work or you've, you've already had a connection there? It's generally 
invitations, you know, it's generally invitations from other institutions, other organizations, curators, and so on and so forth. But, you know, we really do generate our own projects here in New Orleans, which is our focus. You know, our focus is, is home and our focus is the people who make this incredible city. Always, you know, speak to the kind of street pageantry, everyday street pageantry that you see. So our collaborators, and they've been in Music Box too, like really run the gamut. You know, an average Music Box project like New, uh, or an average Airlift project like New Water Music, I think we had 350 people working on the project. So when I say large scale collaborations, I really do mean very large scale collaborations. But we once had a, a Music Box performance uh, where the composer wanted the very last sound to be heard to be the sound of motorcycles driving away. And so we had the Caramel Curves All-Female Motorcycle Club as performers in a music box concert. So it can really get quite eclectic. So Diego, I think it's so beautiful how collab you know, you're really sort of putting collaboration at the spotlight. And I wonder about the collaboration between you and the co-founders. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Sometimes that's harder. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. No, it, it definitely it definitely can be, but I think we've been we've been incredibly lucky um, to to just the culture that we've set at the company, um, the advisors that we've had in, in helping coach us through the early foundation, we've taken a lot of things into consideration. Um, you know, I think we, we did a lot of research early on as to um, you know, potential pitfalls down the line for companies. Um, so I say that to say, you know, no one cares about the politics or the dynamics or anything when it's worth nothing. Everyone cares when it's worth something. So we did a lot of work on the front end to make sure that, right, you know, it was smooth sailing, but what happens when inevitably we hit some bump in the road or something like that? Um, thankfully to the moment, you know, we've had difficult conversations, had difficult decisions, um, but nothing that has really kind of led to any you know, huge split in, in leaning uh, one way or another. We usually follow a very kind of democratic process in our, in our meeting spaces. Um, and again, a lot of that is part, partly uh, the culture that we've set, but then also a lot of the advice that we've gotten from our advisors and mentors. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, we, we say we're, we're enabling co-creation as we're co-creating this company. So it's def definitely a lot of overlap there for sure, for sure. Yeah, I think collaboration does actually need to come with some rules and right. some ground rules um, and creating like a really safe and respected space for all voices is really yeah. important. Yeah, yeah. And starting at the ground. And, you know, we're growing and we're institutionalizing. We've been around for 10 years. We are, you know, literally a DIY art project made by artists who are, you know, I would say like will to power to learn how to use a spreadsheet and many other things <laughs> along the way. And now we run a business and it is institutionalizing and you know, I'm watching some changes with the culture, some good and some bad, but um, yeah. it is definitely a thing that comes with growth that like, and kind of holding on to these values and finding them early is yeah. important. You know, me and my co-founder of Airlift, Jay Pennington, we're quite different. I'm an artist. He's more of a DJ, musician, arts manager, but we really have a philosophical kind of underpinning for all the work and we really are agreed there. Yeah. You know, and I think that's so important. No, definitely. And you know, it's funny because I would almost argue like artists can be very particular and I can say that because I'm an artist, but we can be very particular in kind of in, you know, our, our beliefs, our values, our, our way of thinking. So I'm sure there's been times where, you know, working with some of these other projects, working with some of these other artists, things have possibly gotten complicated. I guess my question being, like, how do y'all go about choosing or selecting, like, what types of projects it is that you're going to be working on? Like, if, you know, say we had an artist that was interested in, in pitching some kind of idea, like, what, what would that process look like? 
Yeah, because we are um, a small group, you know, we're, we're quite unusual. There's a lot of presenting organizations in the world. We are artists. We kind of create our own frameworks for collaboration, and then we invite people into them, right? So for, mu for the music box, it's what is musical architecture? How, do you, how does it sound? What does it look like? How do you play it? And then once you have these kind of strong rules, you can invite people in. And we really try to be broad. We try to think about <clears throat> the kind of community we would like to see, right? Um, and so access is a portion of that. And we were super inspired by the project I mentioned with the deaf sound artist, Francine Kun Kim. But really, you know, a lot of Airlift's work, it kind of came out of the Katrina moment and out of the moment of seeing artists come back to the city sort of struggling and this whole desire to connect them with the outside originally was like there's so much curiosity on the outside opportunity might not be here we want you to be able to stay in the city so how do we get you outside opportunities and then as the city started to turn around it was like well who can we bring to the city to collaborate but it was never about bringing a famous artist to only do their own work it was always putting them in conversation and collaboration and you know we've had amazing things come out of it like one of our great collaborators, Tiff Lamson, great musician, and several years back, um, she did a show with this quite famous musician called Peaches, and was their musical director, and we also had uh, dancers from Dancing Grounds and, and various female musicians, and when this artist Peaches wanted to do a big tour two years later, she flew all of them, and they played places like all over Europe, all over, you know, like the Royal Albert Hall, and people who had never even left New Orleans before got to do that. So it is pretty calculated in terms of like what we're trying to do in a very organic way. And we don't prioritize, you know, the famous artists versus the up and coming, but we really try to stack the decks in a way that, you know, brings unusual people into collaboration together and at different levels. According to recent research, Humans aren't the only creatures on Earth who make music. Uh, apparently, despite what we've always thought, dolphins, whales, and even cicadas aren't only making sounds to attract mates or warn each other of danger, they also sing collections of notes that have no practical application and can be only described as pieces of music. If you're a dolphin or a cicada, you have your own particular challenges, but you're free to make music without having to concern yourself with copyright, the internet, or online collaboration software. In the world of upright primates, music-creating and music-appreciating humans have the two of you, Delaney and Diego, and your companies to help us create and appreciate music. Although I'm not deputized to speak on behalf of all music-creating and appreciating humans, I don't think any of them would object to me thanking you for both what you're doing and wishing your companies every success in the future. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank, Thank you, you Peter. So my guests on Out to Lunch today have been Delaney Martin, co-founder and creative director at New Orleans Airlift and Music Box Village, and Diego Pinzone. He's the co-founder and CEO of Dawn Audio. We edited this show to fit into our time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Diego and Delaney's music ventures by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. 
The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business. New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.